And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. Hello and welcome back to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly delve into the arts, the culture and the community bubbling away in East London, but always resonating way beyond. So wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. And it's show number 69, the perfect number for today. I'm Pearl Wise and I'm here with Jesse Lawson. Hello. Uh, if you didn't manage to make it down to our live event in Dawson last Thursday, uh, you can now listen to the live show on iTunes. Just type in Eastcast Show London. It was a great success with audio from some really amazing producers and live music and some performances. We loved it so much that we're thinking about maybe doing another one. So watch this space. And most importantly, we raised lots of money for the Resonance fundraiser, which is still happening. And if you still want to donate some money, um, just go on to Resonance FM and you can do that there. Um, So this month, we're joined by dancer Warren Gordon-Smith, Scott, ahead of a, um, a show exploring the roots of LGBTQ people of colour and live music with members of South East London's Future Sound Cartel. I talked to East Londoners about their hair in episode six of Starting Conversations. And as it is Valentine's Day and it is our sixth and ninth episode, we do have a kind of love story for you later on. <laughs> but first, let's talk politics and more specifically, uh, young people in politics with the founder of youth news platform Shout Out. So um, here with us is Matteo Bergamini. Welcome, Matteo. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So um, I guess let's start out with what, what Shout Out? What is it? Tell us what it is. Sure. So it's a youth news network that tries to get more young people engaged and involved in the political process, discussing it, talking about it and understanding the sort of fabric that creates the democracy that we live under. Um, so we've got a website, shoutatuk.org, um, where young people aged sort of 15 to 25 can start writing about issues they care about, as well as um, current affairs topics, debate and discuss and sometimes argue with each other about topics. Um, and on the educational side, we run political literacy courses in secondary schools, PRUs, as well as um, for councils to try and teach young people about local national government, how does a bill become a law, and all the sort of basic stuff around our democracy that should realistically be on the curriculum, but for some reason just isn't. Why do you think it isn't? What, 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 at what point did, um, you know, teachers and head teachers and people who are writing curriculums decide that politics wasn't that important? Um, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. If yeah. you want to go down conspiracy theories, then uh, be my guest. I, I, I don't know. It's 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 just a, it's something that's always bewildered me. Like we we talk about it with, um, you know, we, we send letters to the Department of Education about the work we do and sort of the reports around how engaged young people become after they start to learn about the system and understand how much it impacts them and how much it affects them, as well as how many opportunities we have to engage with the system itself. Not just obviously voting, but there's a myriad of other ways that we can do that. And the response is always, well, there's citizenship and, well, there's form time. And there's, there's always excuse after excuse as to why it's not actually in there. Mm. Um, as to why it's never been put in there, I, your guess is as good as mine. So were you kind of spurred on by the... I, I think I sort of noticed there was more of a youth interest in politics after the um, referendum for Brexit. And it did seem that suddenly there was a lot of talk about young people and their views and and suddenly people were engaged did that kind of inspire you or were you already thinking about it um well for me i mean i started shout at uk when i was at university back right. in sort of 2014 2015 and for me it was sort of older than that in the sense that i sort of grew up um 
it, with my mum and she was always quite interested in politics never really got into it herself but just always talked to me about it and that sort of spurred me into becoming quite interested in it and when I went to high school, what I realized was that a lot of young people my age were interested in politics. They, didn't, they just didn't call it politics. They, you know, single issues like, I don't know, human rights, climate change or whatever else, but I didn't see the connection between that and mainstream politics. For me, that's quite dangerous because you get disillusioned by the system. You protest and engage outside of the political spectrum. But if you don't actually engage with the political process, nothing's actually going to change. And I think that Brexit obviously played a massive part in getting young people involved in politics quite angrily often because obviously they felt like they were essentially betrayed by a generation where a load of quite older people that aren't going to be around for the consequences of Brexit voted to take out the country when the majority of young people actually wanted to remain in the European Union. Um, and, and politics in general has become a lot more interesting. You know, you have the rise of Corbyn and, 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 the, um, and, and the issues of that, that creates. Obviously, Trump's a big promoter mm. of getting people annoyed about politics and getting them engaged. Just every classroom we go to, there is always someone mentioning Trump um, just because he's so hilarious in a variety of different ways, as well as slightly depressing. So when you um, bring your political literacy course into schools, what is the kind of, what's that moment where they're like, oh, actually, there's something like, this is for me, this is kind of interesting. Is there, a, is there something where it kind of, there's sort of a click moment? Honestly, I, it, it's more a click moment for the teachers and the students because the, whenever we go into a school, it's often the same thing where young people are actually asking for the teachers to understand the political system better. But because none of us have ever been educated in politics and you only start to understand it if you happen to take an A-level in it and then you happen to go to university and most people don't have that um, sort of engagement to be able to start teaching it. So teachers often feel like, well let's bring in an organization that can do this kind of mm. stuff. So it's often from the sort of ground up where the kids are already wanting to understand this stuff. It's just that schools don't have the ability or capacity to often do it. Yeah. Um, so it's actually the teachers that they sort of think, well, let's give this a go, see how engaged their kids are. And for them, it's that sort of light bulb where actually these, these people actually do care about the stuff. Why don't we, why isn't this part of the, the educational process already? Mm. For, someone, for someone who is feeling... Um, for someone who's feeling frustrated and powerless, who is under 18, who couldn't have voted in the referendum or who can't vote now, what are the ways that they can become politically involved? Um, I mean, there's a number of ways. Um, you know, you can give evidence to committees um, whenever. And these are kind of things that are so vague and remote that often we don't really think about them. But, you know, Parliament often asks for people's opinions, evidence that they give. And... It's always the same people that give that kind of stuff. It's always lobbyists, charities, campaign groups and so forth, but never individual young people. But they can sort of submit their own evidence. Um, you can campaign for issues. You can join a political party if you want to. Um, you can talk to your friends and family about politics and get them engaged and try to sway them for your own way of thinking if you want to. Um, there are so many different ways that you can sort of engage with the system. It's just that we've never been told any of these things. So we have to learn as we go. And the reality is, is that often whenever you engage with politics, it's always quite negative. So it's always, you know, when you get a job, it's always HMRC contacting you. Um, if you read the papers, you know, politicians only ever really make the press if they are doing something dodgy or putting things up that knows they shouldn't be doing or whatever else. You know, those are the kind of things that you associate with politics. So it makes it seem like this dirty, negative thing. And it's good that papers cover that stuff because they should. But it only gives you one side of the story. And if you don't have that, that grounding in education where you understand that politics is actually a lot more than that, you often want to stay away from it. It's like, why would I want to get involved in something so dirty and, and seedy when it's not really for me? Yeah, and there is that thing. It's like, it does seem like it's for old people because when, when you look at politicians, they all seem kind of grey and old and just not that appealing, not that sexy. I mean, it doesn't help that they are all upper class white men in grey suits <laughs> that are over 60. You know, it's, I mean, that, that doesn't help. And the fact that if you turn on BBC Parliament, they look like they're, stuck in the 1400s with the way they talk and so forth so that yeah that doesn't help but again if that was in education you would understand that that is a very very small part of the actual political process and there are so many different things mm -hmm. that are involved in it um and you know that it's a very very old institution parliament they talk in a certain way for a reason um if that needs to change young people need to get involved and change it because in the end we're inheriting this country so we we need to decide how we want to how we want to carry on essentially so what's next how are you rolling this out what's what's the future for this kind of new idea that you're sure exploring? so it so it's um, we've delivered it in just over 30 schools 
at the moment. Um, we've engaged with over 300 in various workshops and um, online activities around the course. Um, but idea is that I, I would love to see it sort of rolled out across across um, mm. the UK, essentially, in all secondary schools and people referral units. Um, the reality is, of course, is that as with everything, you know, you're talking about fundraisers earlier, money is always a problem. And the school budgets are getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And the way we um, operate is that we rely on school budgets. So schools commission us to come in to, to, to deliver the course. Um, there is a, is such a low amount of support around political education in the UK, simply because as soon as you mention the word politics to funders, they'll end up running a mile because it's something less contentious and easier to fund that makes for better PR than teaching young people politics. Um, so it is a problem, it is a struggle, but it's something that I genuinely believe. And I think that the more politics becomes interesting and the more young people become angry, because let's be honest, there is an entire generation that is incredibly, incredibly frustrated with the way things are going, you know, with the housing market, the fact they can never get on a housing ladder, the fact that jobs are scarce, the fact that zero hour contracts are happening, um, things like Carillion sort of really detail how messed up the system is at the moment and how frustrated young people are with it. Um, that I think young people are going to be calling for more and more understanding about the system and that's where we can sort of come in and, and get involved because schools are buying now more than they've ever done despite the fact that school budgets are, are um, shrinking. So it shows that there is clearly a demand for it. Yeah, and there's nothing like crisis to get rid of complacency, right? When things are kind of looking bleak, that's when people start kind of wanting to do something about yeah. it and, oh, get, yeah. and get involved. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's great. I mean, for everybody else, probably not. But for us, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And just lastly, um, for um, Shout Out, what, what, what's the future of that? Are you is just going to keep going? Are you... Is there any kind of, I don't know, you're thinking about print? I mean, it seems a bit old fashioned, but is, are there any kind of outlets that you're, or TV? I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, our, our sort of main aim is to to expand the course and to expand our, our user base on our platform. Um, so, you know, as I said, 15 to 25 year olds, um, anybody that's 15, 25 that is listening that wants to write, sort of shameless plug here, um, then by all means get in contact with us on shoutoutuk.org. Um, and essentially, we want to create a platform that allows all young people in the UK to have a voice and to share it. And the idea is not necessarily to create a load of different blogs, but more around having a professional voice where young people can go and actually have a actual serious debate and conversation. Um, because all the articles that are on our platform are, are edited and fact-checked and so forth. So it's the youth voice, but also with a professional tinge to it. Yeah, I, th I found that. And I thought it was really really easy to read and to understand and not in a kind of you know not in a condescending way at all mm. more in yeah, a positive yeah. way that actually you know you've got a, an incredible variety of news stories on there and it, it it's it makes sense like you read it's just beautifully written so yeah so you're doing a very good job no thank you well, <laughs> thank the writers more than me yeah <laughs> yeah thank you Mateo. yeah thanks very much um, and so now we're going to have episode six of Starting Conversations. This month I walked around asking people about their hair. I'm a brunette. It's Caucasian. It's quite long, down to my shoulders, a bit below my shoulders, quite thick, uh, Jewish. It's kind of like spongy, so if it gets wet then it holds the water for a while. Yeah, it gets like curly, or if I comb out, then it just stays kind of just like straight up, like a just normal afro, but yeah. But still, I've got a full head of hair, <laughs> and I'm quite pleased about that. It seems to run in the family. <laughs> and, uh, well, my dad had a full head of hair when he passed away at 86. His granddad, I believe, before him had a full head of hair, so we're all quite happy. <laughs> so myself, I used to have the afro. Black and proud back in the seventies, but I tried to. have it. My hair wasn't very hair that grows very strong, but I tried to, you know, promote that kind of effect. I was proud of my hair. I'm trying to promote people accepting their hair, but this is just a historical thing as well, especially the black hair. I brush it. I brush it a lot. I always carry a brush with me. <laughs> I'm like a horse. I'm not from London, so my hair changes quite a lot when I'm here. I don't recognize my hair when, it, when I'm here, actually. I'm from the beach, from Latin America. So, yeah, my hair back there is curly and frizzy, 
and yeah, the weather here makes it a bit more wavy. I think it's very important. I think if you kind of speak to any black woman, really, um, hair is a really, it's quite political. Um, and it's not just about an aesthetic, um, but it represents something. And I think the way that we wear our hair says a lot about kind of our cultural identity and how we feel about our black aesthetic. So it's personal and it's political. My father is a Syrian Jamaican, but family came from Syria. So my, my hair is actually quite um, Mediterranean yeah. hair. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, when I hit 50, menopausal age, I developed a thyroid problem and my hair started to fall out. I have um, investigated wigs and stuff, but can't be asked. I'm allowed to say that. Um, can't be bothered, really. But in a kind of overview of that, in terms of my being female, I've had to kind of re-have another look at that and kind of embrace my other, my other kind of positive aspects. I still think I'm beautiful. I've got nice lips. I wear nice red lipstick from Urban Decay. So that looks quite nice. <laughs> I've got lots of hair on top, and I've got lots of hair Everywhere on my else. body. <laughs> I have in the past, you know, sort of, I wouldn't say shaved my chest, but when you've got a few sort of sparse hairs here and there, it never looked sort of too good, so they would have to go. And of course, the never regions, I would of course keep them sort of tidy <laughs> and trimmed. Because me, for one, never did like a mass of bushy hair down there. And it's, to me, it was untidy and, you know, just cleanliness sort of thing. I love it. It's, it's part of my manhood. That's, you, you have a feminine gender and a masculine gender. Being determined that I'm a man, I'm a hunter, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a girl of, you know. If my, hair, my legs are a bit hairy, well, it keeps me warm in this cold climate. And if my armpits are a bit hairy, so what? You know, if the hair is sprouting from my upper lip, ah, you know, it's one of those days. Um, so yeah. My armpits, for my arms, for my lips. <laughs> quite expensive maintenance, but... Uh... I'm quite, like, lucky. Well, I don't know if it's lucky, but um, within our body hair growth culture... My hair is very fine and very light, so it's not very noticeable, so it's not really an issue in relation to like how much body hair you have, and I'm aware that that makes things easier according to the certain standards that we've set. I like shave like my stomach hair and stuff because it starts to feel a bit inconvenient. I'm pretty hairy. I have hair all over my arms, and I don't really mind, to be honest. I have large eyebrows and yeah I think it's just part of me. Arms, underarms, legs, intimate areas, back, chest, bum, anything, anything, you know, you name it, we wax it. <laughs> My name is Kasia. I work for the London Salon Soho. I'm 30 and I've been a waxing therapist for the last nine years. So when I first started working in London, um, waxing, I mean, waxing was always on the top, but with the men, you get like kind of, there's still a bit of like, I would say taboo. It's like some men, they still in the shell where if they do something with themselves they 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 being threatened that they might be misinterpreted which is not true it's more about grooming it's more about you know liking yourself it's more about feeling comfortable feeling good so it has changed uh, the percentage of straight men coming to the salons for wax you know even if it's just the back wax when they go on holidays but they still they have that conscious that it's much nicer if you walk on the beach you've got the smooth back rather than you know full of hair it just I think you know it, it gives you a bit more like reassurance and just a bit more like confidence so yeah it's it has changed a lot in the terms of having uh, more um, male clients in the salon who are the necessary gay but then again saying that we don't we don't label it as like you know straight or gay or anything 
the client is the client and you know it, it does it has no meaning for me what the orientation is but it's just I feel like it's a society putting the pressure and then you know that the, the people fear how they're going to be looked at by by, by others so but no it's far more men now than it used to be with with the ladies it's always full but you know with the men it has increased like hugely ever since yeah I've been working really funny salon names. There's one called Macho Waxing and there's one called Gorilla Warfare. <laughs> and I was wondering, I guess those ones are trying to make waxing seem manly. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know, yeah, so how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? I think it's just still this kind of, you know, common opinion, you know, like that, you know, it's not really for men, that it's not, that they're going, you know, but it's all changing. It's all, it's all changing, it, and you know, comparing to what it used to be back in the years, now it's, it's changing a lot. But yeah, you're right. It's like, it's you know, the, the, it's actually this is really uh, interesting the, the names of the places that you listed. Like, yeah, it's just I, I believe they want to kind of make it a bit more inviting, like that it's actually that this, this that this is okay, you know. I was wondering if women are leaving more body hair on now. It is a little bit. They they used to be ever since I think American Apparel they, they do clothing or something like that. They put the on the like on the on the display on the window the mannequins in the underwear with like body hair like with a kind of bikini hair. It's just like demonstration that like oh why am I expected as a female to rip all my hair off? You know when the men walk around you know freely with the hair and they're not expected to do anything. So there was a time that people started, like as a, you know, the, the ladies, they started um, leaving more or they would only do like high bikinis, where overall still the biggest trend is just to remove everything. waxing studio yeah. right now and it's a really small room yeah and it's very intimate and obviously we're doing an intimate area we're not wearing women clothes like how are men and women awkward or is it not awkward at all or how do you make someone feel comfortable so for me I've got the body you know you've got the body I've got my beads you've got your beads so you know we might vary in the shape and the color but in the end of the day we're still the same it's my job to make them feel welcome and they make them feel comfortable and make them feel like there's nothing scary about it. Before I do anything, I say, what is your expectation? Is there anything that can help you? Is there anything that you want to ask me before we start? We, we treat everyone, you know, the way we would like to be treated and it's, you know, there's no, like, no, I've got a bit of the power because I'm the one ripping the hair off, but, <laughs> but, um, no, it's, it's, I, I feel like we, we, we always try to put it on the top so that, that people feel comfortable with it. So this series has got harder and harder as it's got colder and colder. Yeah, I can imagine. Because <laughs> I walk around uh, trying to get people to stop on the street and talk to me. Um, and this time was the first time I had a more awkward encounter. Because mm. I saw this guy, there, there was this guy on a crossroads and he was stood still and it looked like he was kind of looking at the world go by and he was quite relaxed. And so I was like, cool, I'll go and talk to him and ask him about his hair. And then as I got close to him, he was standing next to a bin um, and he was just uh, peeing. Am I allowed to say he was peeing in the bin? <laughs> and so I didn't, ended up not, not talking to him. <laughs> yeah, probably a wise move. Don't interrupt a man when he's peeing. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Um, now, a warm welcome to self proclaimed b-boy warren gordon scott from community focused dance company rain crew and he'll be performing at rich mix next week as part of something called legacy by the people behind the vaults tavern cabaret ducky hi warren thanks for joining us how you doing you're right i'm good so um rain crew what's rain crew tell so, us more rain crew so it's a funny story we're, we're a bunch of friends um first and foremost like we're a family and um we started a b-boy crew 
Um, but we're actually multi-styled, so there's a loads of different. Well, any dancers out there that would know, there's loads of different styles out there, and we, we literally are, are full of the array of all of them. And then um, as moving on and getting older and learning a bit more about community, more learning more about as what I was talking about earlier, politics and a few other bits and pieces, we decided to make a company of friends and um, our company is a dance company predominantly that does jams and events and um, we've got classes and again we're in schools and few and f- other bits and pieces but also we're just a bunch of like crazy unorthodox mad people that just got mad love for everyone <laughs> so yeah we've we started to do pieces which is theater pieces at the moment um, and I've been artistic direct- directing some of it and um, yeah that's what we're going to be doing at the legacy on um, at Richmix on Saturday. Yeah, so what what is that? What um I mean, we've actually interviewed uh Ducky before from yeah. they organized something called the Posh Club, which is a cabaret for old old senior citizens. <laughs> um and um I've been to the Vaults Tavern and it's always very glamorous and lots of kind of crazy cabaret acts, but this yeah. event is a bit different. Isn't this, it? Is, this is a bit different because um, it's Kazar Rose and it's Kimberly X, and um, they're two madly creative people that want to bring new, vibrant, and energetic things to. Um, I'd say they they had a, a company called The Family or Family before, and then they've been doing something with Ducky Family. So all of them together become this festival that becomes Legacy. And this is for, like, the... Um, I, I always get it wrong, but I'll try to say it's the LBGT... I think it's Q, yeah. what, what they had. Yeah. Um, and that's basically, obviously, the lesbian, gay, transgender and queer community. And they were talking about how um, black people have, or, or people of colour, let's say, have... Um, a background in queer and in gay and in in all different types of things, really. And this festival is kind of um, shining light on that. It's shining light on the communities that are involved in that. And it's also shining light on basically how all communities can gel and mix together without no problems or issues. So what kind of things can we expect on the night? I know that there's going to be definitely a, a massive there's going to be a video that's going to be playing from um, Kimberly X herself there's mm. going to be um, the thing about it is I don't know all the names yeah. but I know that there's going to be a, um, there's <laughs> going to be basically a, there's thing, about three or four singers I think there is mm-hmm. there's definitely going to be a panel talk I think it's like someone's going to be doing an actual talk and stuff like that and then there's going to be Rain Crew which is us we're going to be doing our piece which is called the um, Wild Rain Asylum which is going to be crazy it's going to be mad. So what does that look yeah, like? what does that... What so basically, the piece that we've um, put together for this show is actually going to be the first time that we show it at this show. We've had a few pieces that we've put together before, but this is an amalgamation of all of them. It basically shows what British culture does to not just young people, but people in general. And the fact that even though there's got this issue of like the history of like queer people and lesbian and gay and transgender and that there's an uncomfortability, that even uncom- it's uncomfortable to be straight, gay, anything in this community sometimes is uh, is uncomfortable to be a person of colour, a person not of colour, being understood, not being understood. So when people kind of, like, deflect the issue of sexuality, it's kind of a situation where it's like, why would you do that when we've got so much stresses and strains in life anyway? And what is really being normal? And are we all crazy? Or is there a bunch of people that's crazy? So it's kind of like we're going to get on stage and basically face them issues not for people, but face them issues as in you don't have to face the... Well, you do. You have to face the crazy issues that go on in this world, but you don't have to face them alone because on a normal day, getting changed is sometimes as crazy as some of the mental issues that people go through. And also, it's not to take away from the mental issues that people go through and making them something small, but it's like something small can be just as crazy as something big. Wow, I'm just trying to get my head around that. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, and this is all through kind of dance and expression? Yeah, this and... is going to be dance, expression, um, spoken word, and then we've got the atmosphere that's been built on stage by the music and also the lighting and, and everything. Literally, we did all that. So this is on the 17th of February at yeah. Rich Mix. Yeah. Um, so, and you can't buy tickets in advance. You have to just buy them on the door, apparently. Yeah, I think so that's, that, that's 
So if anyone wants to go, you just got to go on the yeah. 17th, so that's Saturday. And tell me just more about the kind of work that you're doing with Rain Crew in Newham because you're, yeah. you're Newham-based. So yeah. what what's you know what kind of things do you get up so, to there? Yeah, we're a Newham-based company. Um, in in Newham ourselves, we um, provide a class that we have on a Thursday down at a um, studio called Centre Stage, and that's for young people of all ages. And it's for, we start from about four, and then we go up to adults. So we have about three main classes: one from like four to I think twelve, and then one from thirteen to like. 17 and then one from 17 to adult basically and these classes are based on a syllabus that, that we've created through b-boy and, and also how that branches off into what you are in the community how you feel in the community and how you can be confident with that because when you're battling like what happens with the 80s saga of b-boy in in this new era of b-boy and it's a situation of you have to be yourself and you have to be confident and you have to portray yourself in the best way you want to for your character so we're trying to delve into that and trying to like draw that out of the community and the kids. And then furthermore than that, we do what we call jams, but battles, which are international battles that we have each season of the year. So we have like a winter one, we have a summer one. Our summer one's coming up on April the 1st. So yeah. Early we, summer. Basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so. And for the more ignorant of us, um, yeah. what, what, does, what is a b-boy? What's that mean? So this is the um, phrase that is called b-boy, break boy or b-girl. Um, which is to do with break dance as everyone's seen or people call popping and locking which has been on from the like rock steady crew from the US and stuff like that UK was doing the exact same thing at the same time and breaking is a dance form which is an element of battling an element of character and an element of presence so it was kind of like crew versus crew person versus person and this is like head spins this is flips this is tricks this is standing this is sitting it's got a lot of elements to it that kind of took the negative from the street level and mm -hmm. made it positive as in you didn't have to fight someone fist to fist you could battle them on the dance floor my moves versus your moves so kind of taking away that element of you know knives guns fists and just making it a thing of an element of like sharing and exchanging with each other so that's what that dance element is and then that spawned a whole array of different dance elements that have come out of that and dance elements that was doing it just at the same time as well so how has it changed from the kind of i guess the image we have of like 80s break dancing you know yeah. like all those moves what what's the main differences now uh, to be honest with you, there's a there's a whole array of differences. Mm. But I would say, if we were to try to just put it down, I think when it was first started in the 80s and in the, the small boroughs and areas, they didn't have as much, obviously, social media and stuff to put their stuff and, and have their front out there. It was more kind of my area from over this side of the block and your area over that side of the block. We kind of know each other, but my moves are better than your moves. My crew's better than yours. My tag is better than your tag. Now that's on like an international level. It's a situation of who can have the, the best views, who can be the best b-boy and who can also be true to themselves and their country. So I think it's more of a thing of even though people was really, truly and rooted to their block before, now that's an international thing. I'm repping my country. I'm repping my brand. I'm repping myself. So I think it's just a bigger scale, mm. but the same kind of ethos or the same kind of like feel to it. Yeah, I, I guess um, there's a lot of talk, especially, you know, in boroughs like Newham and Tower Hamlets um, with young people and knife crime and um, the fact that young people are kind of scared to go from one area to another. Yeah. Does the kind of work you do um, help them to kind of battle it out in different ways rather than kind of going into this sort of gang culture and knife culture? Do yeah. You yeah, same thing like what we're saying about being international. We're kind of also bringing the kids in and showing them, like, mm. you don't own your block, you don't own your borough, you don't own your council flat or estate or anything like that. But at the same time, you can own the representation of representing your country. So if you're representing your country, the person next to you, you're representing them just as much as you're representing yourself. So it takes, it takes away that kind of lines that people put to do with estates and stuff like that. And to do with the knife and gun crime, it's a situation of, like, you don't need any of that when you live around the corner from someone. That's what's happening nowadays. People are killing people around the corner from where they live when it's a situation of that doesn't have to happen. You can actually be together with, with each other. So it, as hard as it is and the different influences that people have, we just try to say, have your own confidence and actually show the world who you are rather than showing someone from a different area who you are. Just trying to take that kind of energy of being small 
and mm. making it in a in a bigger area and saying you can with what you can do with your talents. It doesn't have to be dance, but we teach them that they can take that worldwide and show everyone it rather than trying to be local. And I think when people try to keep people local, it's like keeping caged animals in one area and making them just go rapidly against each other. If you actually give them that opening, they'll run free and do what they do. Wow, I've never thought about it that way. That's a really interesting <laughs> perspective. I like it. Thank you. Um, so just to remind everyone, um, you can see uh, Warren Gordon Scott, who is also Warren Gordon Powell, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, dance at Rich Mix on Saturday the 17th as part of Ducky Legacy. Thank yeah. you so much, Warren. No problem. Thank you very much. Thanks, Warren. Thank um, so we promised you a love story. Uh, Swipe Left, Swipe Left is a new podcast depicting fun, true stories of relationship adventures and dating failures. Each episode features a story told by the person who lived it. Here is an excerpt from episode three, The Trilogy of Ella. Enjoy the car crash. It goes back a long time, actually. The epilogue. The first time I met Ella, we were in class together, aged 11. And although at first I was like, oh, she seems cool, whatever, it took a couple of years and then I really, really fell for her in a big way. <laughs> you know, one of those people that just makes you sweat and you're just, like, nervous all the time. I don't know, I was obsessed with her at school. Like, just, you know, I was just so into her, but I was also, like, one of these kids that was, like, really noisy and loud, but also didn't really have the confidence to ask her out. Chapter 1. Things are hotting up. She'd been away travelling, I'd been away travelling, you know, the classic gap year sort of thing. And uh, she'd got back from Mexico and it was my birthday and she got me a bottle of Mezcal, which is this, I don't know if anyone's tried that, but it's a very delicious, but extremely strong liqueur that they have over there. <laughs> Anyway, we hadn't seen each other in ages, lots to catch up on. We were hanging out, talking. It was not just me, it was like there was a bunch of mates and we all met up at her house and uh, it was all going really good. And everyone else left and I'd already drunk quite a lot of mezcal and just was like in the mood to stay up partying and I think she was too. Eventually, it got to the point where we started making out. Woo, I can't believe it, like I'm so happy but also really hammered, like, really hammered. We decided to go upstairs, which I was like, bloody brilliant, like, you can't wait. Like, you know, it never sort of gone to that point before. And so we're upstairs and we take each other's clothes off and it's all going great and uh, we're, we're naked in bed. Something is not right with my stomach right now. So I, like, stand up. Because I've been lying down for, like, the last five minutes, I, um, you know, it's fine when you're lying down when you're really hammered, but it's not like, getting up and this kind of, like, wave of nausea just, like, comes over you. I'm so drunk and it's quite dim in the room, I, I can't see where the door is. And I can feel this thing, like, coming, really, like this, you know, you know, you just know sick is, sick is coming. <laughs> it's coming. There's nothing you can do. I literally just run into the corner of the room and just, there's no door there. It's just like a it's, a, it's a, it's kind of a door to the boiler and I'm like, fuck, okay, wrong thing. And I like blitz across the other side of the room and then I see the door and I literally grab the door and the door handle comes off and I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, like what am I going to do, what am I going to do? And I remember just like literally like shoving my fingers into the gap where the, uh, where the door handle was, like ripping it open and it's just, it's too late, it's too late, it's happening and I, and I, so I run out the door, I trip, I slip, I vomit mid-fall to the ground. It hits the ground before I get there. And I just fall headfirst into my own vomit, like, all over myself. I also smack my head against the banister. And I'm there, like, in a kind of pool of my own vomit, naked, like, in a fetal position, being like, ooh. Sick all over my hair and my face, barely being able to get up. And then her, like, mum 
<laughs> Mexican mum like comes out of the hallway is like, is everything okay? <laughs> and I was like, fine, everything's fine. And then uh, Ella is absolutely like, she's pretty furious, but also like, what the fuck? She just takes me out and she has to deal with it. And then they give me like a spare T-shirt because it's just like sick all over me and I need to like wash and stuff. And then I go to sleep. And the, and the worst thing was just like, they put me to bed and it was fine. But I was like, I was so hammered that I actually had an interview for a job the next morning. I had to just sack it off and then have a very, very awkward breakfast with her brother and her mum. Chapter 2. Let's get legit. So the next excitement about that was I got this job working for this pretty shit company. But basically, the only perk of it was that I got free meals at fancy restaurants all around London. So I saved up my kind of overtime hours, which were paid in tokens to go to these restaurants. I basically asked her, I was like, hey, do you, do you want to go for a meal with me at this like really fancy restaurant? And she was like, yeah, yeah. Okay, that sounds cool. And I was like, yeah, sweet. Oh, man, this is the time. This is the time. It's all going to happen. Ten years of build-up, it was, you know, I was fucking so excited. And I was like, oh, my God, it's actually happening. And, I'm, you know, it's going to be super legit. Like, I'm going to take her to this really fancy thing and then I'm going to dress smart, blah, blah. We go to the restaurant and uh, <laughs> things are going fine. Like, she's been a bit, like, off with me. I don't really get why and and I was just like okay I'm just gonna power through this and obviously we got loads of this free fancy food and because I've been such a doing such a like horrible job I was so keen to eat as much as possible so I just absolutely stuffed my face like literally just shameless like everything just going in there like non-stop and she was kind of like being a lot more modest about it but I was like no I gotta get this and gotta get my money's worth and uh Basically, the date was not going very well. Like, we'd known each other for years, and I guess she wasn't sure what the format was, but I, I, I felt like it was kind of clear that I wanted to be on a date. But um, anyway, we left, and nothing's happened. And also, by this point, I was, like, you know, I was getting a bit nervous because I was like, shit, like, right, we're walking home, and, you know, nothing's happening, and she's being a bit sort of uptight with me. And we were walking back, and then I was just like, shit, I need to... Just pop down this alleyway for a second. And I literally just, not joking, just absolutely <laughs> emptied my guts of all the fancy food down there. And I just completely, like, just, like, vomiting so hard. And I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. They only had like a glass of wine, so I couldn't really justify it on the booze at all. And the food was amazing. It wasn't like food poisoning. It was definitely like, I've eaten so much, I can feel that brownie at the top of my throat. So yeah, they kind of like put a bit of a Debbie Downer on the evening. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't give no, any action after that. No action after that. I was kind of like wiping vomit from my from my chin. So then we just called it a night and uh, nothing happened for at least a couple more years. <laughs> Chapter 3. Holiday Romance. So there was a long cooling off period after that. We somehow stayed friends despite all of this shit going on and we decided that it'd be quite fun to go along to her parents' summer house just south of Toulouse, just north of the Pyrenees. So yeah, so, so, we, so we go over that way and it's kind of like, it's all been going good. We finally like kind of had some alone time together and that would have been fine. But then it turned out that she was seeing somebody else at the time. So it was a bit like a bit messy and you know, hearts were, were being stretched all over the place. We were staying with her dad and her stepmom, who also happened to be my old German teacher from school, who I still refer to as Frau Hansig. So anyway, her dad is... He's quite like a typical dad who's very protective of their daughter. So we kind of had to 
pretend like nothing was really going on, which is fine, you know, that I understand the situation. So anyway, the rule was I had to stay in their living room and they had a spare bed. So I was sleeping in the living room downstairs. And basically the dad liked to get up early and have his coffee and newspaper every morning. So it was kind of like I had to be out of bed by eight o'clock in the morning every day, which, you know, is fine when you're not drinking. Uh, gets a bit different when you're drinking. So it's it's one of our last nights and we're kind of like in the middle of nowhere, but there's this little like farmer's party going on. So we decided to go along and we're having a good time, like having lots of drinks and everything's fine. It's been good, actually. I'm feeling like, wow, I've managed to get over all these like embarrassments that have happened in the past and we can kind of just like, you know, be on the same wavelength. And we go home and I've had quite a lot to drink, but it's good. But we decided just like, she's kind of like, nah, like, you know, it's fun what's happened, but I think it's time to call it day. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm a bit guarded about it, but whatever. So I get into the spare bed in the living room and I fall asleep in that immaculate white sheets. And uh, I wake up and it's about, I don't know, six in the morning and just something feels wrong. So we've uh, left you on a bit of a cliffhanger there. If you want to know what happens next, um, and if Archie ever wins Ella's heart, then and if, and if you want to hear even more dating delights from other episodes uh, from Swipe Left, Swipe Left, subscribe to their podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we also apologise for the strong language that you heard there. Thanks, Jessie. Um, so now it's time for some live music. Um, so we have Ollie Thomas and Harry Weskin from Future Sound Cartel with us in the studio. Hi, guys. Good evening. Happy, happy Valentine's Day. And to you, where are my flowers? <laughs> I saved them for Harry, I'm afraid. Okay. Um, so um, you're going to do a couple of songs for us. But yeah. f- before we go into the first song, f- Future Sound Cartel, it sounds like... Some sort of mafioso group of collective, like how many of you are there? It sounds a lot more menacing than it actually is. (laughs) It's not a scary thing. We're actually quite mild-mannered and um, and polite. But um, but no, um, Future Sound Cartel came about, um, it's, it's a collaboration project. So there are, yeah, there are many evolving kind of shapes and personnel members um usually myself and um anthony who's away sunning himself and escaping the bad weather is um we're, we're the sort of the core core members of that um but we we collaborate with other musicians so we have a, a nice a network of southeast londoners that we like to play with and we like we like to share and, and be part of their production and work with um harry very very kindly is from a wonderful band called lucy and he's joining me tonight and he um is one of such bands we've been recording with you guys recently haven't we that's right thanks for getting my plug in for me that's okay i don't that's have okay. to do that now no lucy band london <laughs> sorry <laughs> done done Bad habit. Um, so we'll hear a bit more but first yeah. what are you going to play for us okay so we're going to play a couple of tracks and um, the first song is called grand nostalgic i'll let you fathom the the lyrics because they're pretty unfathomable because they're in my bad french but it's a kind of stab at people looking into the past i guess a retrospective view. So. <laughs> Go for it. Cool. It's a lunar rose rose. What is the point pursuing nothing? But quite a posh on Jay, what's right attitude? But quite. Faceless place where the ghost may chase my backwards thoughts to watch you. Cause I lost you and I chose to. When your mind backtracks to a place you know, in fear to let go. Space is ahead for those who know, but in this place, 
we choose one place So take me and lose me, why do I dream? Into the beaver or glue I pass, eh? In the soft high glory, oh, anyway Blood on tiles and dreams on tiles Blood and I used to feed your mind and cut you Cause I chose to and I want to When your mind retracts to a place you know And fear to let go Heaven awaits those of faith But in this place we share one face So take me and choose me wide away One, two, Rodney. <laughs> Sorry, pardon my terrible French. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, that makes a, a, a change from uh, French bands singing in terrible English. So, you know, <laughs> we've got to turn it around sometimes. This is the future. <laughs> you've got to yes. speak the language of love yeah. on Valentine's Day. Also no? true. Yeah. This is true. Or <laughs> try to. So, do you, do you do a lot of live gigging? Or is it, is it, you're quite a new collective, no? Yeah, relatively new. Um, I, guess, I guess we've been working l- largely in the studio for the last year or so, year and a half. Um, but we have been doing some live. We have been doing some live shows. We um, did a live show at Montague Arms, um, which is a wonderful venue, which is going through a transitory period, isn't it? A little bit sadly, but mm-hmm. um, but we did a gig um, there last uh, December with um, Lucy Guy. Uh, Lucy um, kind of uh, played on the same bill as well, so it was nice. It was kind of good to to sort of get out there and play, especially in a, in a, in a good intimate venue. And we've done a few other things. We've done some bits in the East End as well. We've played the Beehive, um, which the Beehive, was fun. Oh, you know, in, in Poplar. Yeah, in yeah, Poplar, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was good. That's a really nice little venue. So it's, I kind of want to get back there and do some more. Hmm. So, yeah, watch this space. We'll let all you East Londoners know. <laughs> come and invade. So you said you've been in the studio. Have you got hmm. um, some... Uh, are you working on an album or is it an EP? Or what? what can people find some tunes to download or yeah so pl- yeah um yeah please um look us up um feature sound cartel on on all platforms i guess we have some tracks on soundcloud there's also a free download available on um bandcamp um but we've been we're kind of working on a, we're just going working on a body of work essentially um an album is a wonderful thing to be able to do and I, i'm a huge fan of albums and, and the concept of it but i think in this day and age it's it's easier for us to, to write and record as we go and it allows us to be more prolific i guess and keep the songs more relevant and mm. fresh to us so um so we're just working on things as we go we have a new track i'm um, coming up very soon called wrong side of the tracks so yeah, hopefully you guys get to hear that soon. Yeah, mm. and um, are you gonna? Are you looking for a label, or are you happy just kind of doing your own thing at the moment and and releasing tracks as you record them? Yeah, happy, happy doing our own thing. I mean, obviously it's it's wonderful having the opportunity to work with a label, but um, I think we we've got the studio resources we need. We've got mix engineers and producers, and we've got a, yeah, we've got a nice nice people and nice bands around us so yeah, yeah we're quite happy just building our thing yeah <laughs> i wonder these days it's like it's what does a label is is it needed like what what can people seem to manage quite well yeah, by think, not having one i think it's changed i think the onus of the onus of being signed and being on a record label has, has massively changed over the years and i think there's a, there's a huge 
DIY aesthetic to all sorts of music, whether you're talking urban or guitar music. And yeah, okay, it's wonderful having resources at your disposal, mm. um, but you, you'll pay for those resources to a certain extent. So it is nice doing as much as you can on your own. And I think labels are looking for that anyway. Before signing, obviously, labels will want a band with a huge following and, and have kind of got all their... I say I can't say it. Mad together. Yeah, yeah, they're mad. It's it's, it's kind of a counterintuitive. It's like actually we want you to do all the work first, (laughs) and then we'll uh, we'll ride that wave. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So what's your next uh, song? So our next song is um, it's the first one we've um, released actually. It's called Communities Chess, and it's very a London-oriented slow jam. (laughs) Take it away. Enjoy. Winning some communities chest And you ain't got nothing left Through thin and thick my trusty psychic consoles Offering double acetone and bit of lemon he controls Summers on and ten summers where you play with such style and you style with such flair. I've known you for decades and I don't know the first thing about you. To those making more money than sense who think they can't live without you. Those making sense. My worldly advisor condoned me From weekend retreats from these streets He now owns me Hear them down Was this a battle fought without a king? Those making Sound Cartel. It's time for us to say goodbye. East Coast will be back soon on Resonance 104.4 FM. 
with more sounds and stories from East London and beyond. And in the meantime, you can find everything on eastcastshow.com. So thanks for listening and join us again next month on Eastcast. <laughs>